Welcome to CypherVision and today's episode, Promoting Set Transparency. I'm Nigel Schweitzer and joined by co-host Frankie Lavoie. Hi, Frankie. Hi, Nigel. How are you? I'm good. Speaking from California. So we're in three time zones today because today's guest is Tim Pullman, CEO of IPlytics. A pleasure to have you with us, Tim. Thank you, Nigel, for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. Tim, just before the start, I just want to say how great it is to be working with you following the recent acquisition of both IPlytics and Cypher by LexisNexis Intellectual Property Solutions. Same here, Nigel. It's great to call you a colleague now. That's awesome. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to have another first on Cypher Vision today because I don't think we've ever had another podcast host interviewed on Cypher Vision. So I just want to give a shout out for your podcast, which is The Seps Couch. Everyone is happy to join the SAP Couch podcast, and thanks for inviting me here. It's good to be there on the other side of the mic now. You might end up having to do more talking than you're used to, but no, we're all looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. So thank you. And maybe we can kick off. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into standard essential patterns? How did you develop an interest in that area? Almost 15 years ago, even though I'm young, I spent too much of my time on SEPs and standards. It was when I started my PhD here at the Technical University in Berlin, and I worked empirically on mapping declared patent data to standards and patent data to analyze which companies are declaring which patents. And that was for a European Commission study that we published in 2010 then. So that's how I got into the SEP world. And Tim, if I can ask you for those listeners that we have who are maybe not so familiar with SEPs or standard essential patents, how would you describe what they are? Well, a standard essential patent is a patent that claims an invention that reads on a technical standard. So it's still a patent. It's nothing different. But if you implement a standard, let's say 4G or 5G in a telephone, that is using certain technology that has been patented. And you're basically implementing those patents as well. And in legal terms, you are infringing those patents. So, Tim, it sounds like there's quite a few conflict areas in terms of SCPs. Could you maybe just give a brief overview of why it gets a little bit complicated? Yeah, I think the the big difference now is that typically when you own a patent, you have an exclusivity right. You can keep others from using it. When you are joining a standards developing organization, you're basically saying, I commit to license my patent, so I'm losing my exclusivity. But the royalty you can ask for the license is capped, has to be franned, what we call the fair and non-discriminatory terms and reasonable terms. And that makes it difficult because the big question now is what is a reasonable friend rate? Because I, as the owner, of course, want to make a lot of money and a lot of return on my early investments, while the implementer, of course, may not want to spend as much and add that to their product prices. So I can see you definitely could have conflicts between the innovation owner and potentially the innovation user. So could you maybe tell us a little bit about why you started IPlytics? Because I think it's probably to do with that. It has. And I think what is particular with SEPs, there's so much licensing going on. The latest numbers show that we have over $20 billion of yearly licensing around SEPs. So it's a lucrative and big market. And that's why there's so much at stake. When I was still a student, we were doing studies for larger corporations. Basically, we crunched data in spreadsheets and we sold that. But that's, of course, not really a maintainable business model or put differently. Once you send the data, it's outdated. So we quickly understood in order to 
constantly update the data, increase the quality. We need something better. We need a real IP solution that connects the world of standards data with patent declarations and patents data. And that's when we had the idea to found IPlytics, and that was in 2014, so just a year after I finished my PhD. We're now in 2023, and you're part of LexisNexis Intellectual Property Solutions. So that's been quite a journey, I assume, from 2014. Oh, yeah. Ups and downs. It's been a good ride, though. I'm very glad that now we are part of that larger corporation. We have more horsepower to build more IP solutions or better IP solutions. Now, we've already touched on the fact that there's you know, a huge amount of, of patent data out there trying to understand that data and being able to, to deliver something, whether it's a license that is fair, is not without its challenges. So I want to talk about the need for transparency in the space. But Nigel, maybe you could tell us a little bit, why do you think transparency is so important in IP today? Ah, so that's, of course, a recurrent theme in, in CypherVision. The whole of our belief system is that with better data, you make better decisions. With better data, you get more economic growth, you get less friction. And I think standard essential patents is like a microcosm, as Tim said, a huge economic microcosm, 40 billion of licensing revenues every year. But there's still too much friction. And like the foundational building block is who owns SEPs. It's almost amusing that we're so far into the cellular standard story and there still isn't agreement on that foundational question. Tim, interested to hear your views on that in terms of the the transparency or lack of it. One reason we founded the company is, of course, to increase that transparency, and it's challenging. I always summarize it in two challenges. First of all, companies must declare patents that are potentially essential at the standardization bodies. That's good. It's good to have databases to get started. But there's no third party who makes any assessment if these patents are really essential. Actually, if you look at certain studies, it says that 10, 20, maybe 30% of these are only essential. So the majority are not essential. Then there is these other databases that are incomplete. I call that often underdeclared. Basically, there are standards organizations that do not request a specific declaration of lists of patents. The cellular, we have lists of patents, but for Wi-Fi or video codec or audio codec, they don't exist. We have data through patent pools. That's another source of information where patent pools must check those patents. So there we have more trust in that these are really essential patents. And you end up mixing patent declarations with pooled patent lists. And then there's still missing data in between, which makes all that transparency quite challenging if you want to tell who owns which patents in the space. No, it's interesting. I'm playing with the word standard here because it doesn't feel like there's a standard way of necessarily doing anything. It is exactly that thing. And just yesterday presented a study to the European Commission that basically discussed exactly that topic. If you are implementing standards in your products, you implement different kinds of standards that come from different organizations. You know, 4G comes from a different organization than Wi-Fi. And all these organizations have different rules, which also concern rules of transparency, but also rules of how to license SEPs. And that creates a certain complexity in the market for the implementers, but even for the subholders, they don't always have all the information at hand. Also, they want to know what competition is doing. Also, they need to know their market share. The good news was everyone thinks more transparency is good. That has not always been the case. There have been some strategic players that may not be interested in too much transparency, but I think that 
changed a bit. And I think that's good news for the industry. And, and that's great to hear that the majority feel that transparency is the way forward. So if that is the problem, how are we going to solve it? Tim, how does IPlytics go about doing that today? What we do at IPlytics is we have intelligent ways to cross-correlate patent data with standards data. For example, we can compare a single claim of a patent to the section of a standard semantically. We can also track if the named inventor of that patent went to the standards meeting. We can see if that patent, for example, cited the standard as prior art. So there are data points that we can connect and then combine intelligently to make assumptions. Even more excited I'm now to work with uh, the Cypher team because Cypher has these patent classifiers. Nigel can talk about these more. But basically, the way it works is if you have training data, and we have a lot of training data on, on standards, you put that into the Cypher machine and classification, and then you get patents that are similar or that are predicted to be relevant to the training data. And that could solve that first problem that I mentioned. Some standards organizations do not request specific declarations of patents. So you have to kind of predict where these patents are. We know a company owns SEPs. We know that company is part of standardization, but we do not know from that large portfolio the company owns which patents now really read on the standard. So therefore, you need intelligence to do that. Well, we'll certainly put our back into it, Tim. I mean, the, the challenge, of course, is you talk about how many patents are declared. To give the listeners uh, an order of magnitude, how many 5G declared standard essential patents do you think there are? Our data shows that we have about 50,000 patent families declared for 5G only. These include now also some expired or non-active patent families. But that would be the maximum amount that we're talking about. You can now break it down further, but it already shows the sheer amount of those patents. Right. I'm not going to go and play with numbers. If you were to take 50,000 patents and spend two hours reading every one, which would be like lightning speed because the documents are 60 to 100 pages long and the standards are even longer. It's not a job that can be done by manual reading. It's not a job that can be done just by one, two, skip a few and read a couple of them and then try and extrapolate. It is a task for data science. It is a task for machine learning. And for those people who are very interested in technicalities, machine learning involves training sets of positive and negative examples. And IPolytics has phenomenal sets of patterns that have been carefully studied and discerned to be positive and negative. And I hope that provides a foundation for a, a really healthy solution so that we can help IPlytics take another step forward. We even once calculated the amount of budget needed to spend time on claim charting each and every declared patent. And I can tell you those amounts, they went beyond the royalty income of what you can get from SEP. So it's economically just not feasible. And that's exactly where AI can help. It may not be determinative, and that's in our industry very important to stress. So it may not be the one truth that we can believe in, but it's one data point that can help to find the truth with other information combined. Tim, we're, we're going to move on and talk about, Fran, as you described it, fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory. And if you're looking at non-discriminatory or not biased, do you think AI can help in that? Can AI be impartial? And is that a good thing? So what is super important for us that we have the means to identify a systematic bias. What people keep forgetting, the training data, the input, 
to start with also has to be unbiased. So I think if you put smart people together who are aware of the limitations of that and who can really assess a potential bias, then AI can be impartial. If AI is only a black box and you cannot test anything, then we cannot say if it's impartial. So we always have to deal with these kind of questions and these are fair questions. But I think we are in a good way to provide better answers because being in the space longer and longer, we know what's important to our clients, to the industry and to the people. And if you listen to that and you provide these answers, then you can also deliver solutions that are really used, that really help decision-making. Of course, ML has been Cypher's life for over 10 years. In the intellectual property world, the use of machine learning is relatively new. But on planet Earth, it's not new. There are so many other sectors that use machine learning to solve complex problems. And building non-biased training data is at the core of all of those. Sometimes I think the IP world thinks of itself as special. And I think it should regard itself as another problem to be solved or at least helped by machine learning. Great. Thank you. That's definitely an, an interesting discussion there. So, Tim, what is the goal of FRAND licensing? In the end, a certain party requests royalties, rightly so, because they have invented something and someone else is using that patented technology and has to pay for it. Now, the big question is, what is a fair and reasonable price? A reasonable price is important for both parties because the implementer has to still be able to sell the products and have a market success. Also here, the patent owner has no win if products are not sold anymore, because typically you get a royalty based on the number of products sold. In economic terms, the best price is a market equilibrium where the price of the patents are not too high, but also high enough that we still have returns. In reality, it's a business negotiation that two parties have. In most cases, not in court. Sometimes you compare other deals with other players, and then that's a comparable license, and that is a good point of information. My competitor paid this amount, and I don't want to pay more than my competitor, and that's important, especially in the market. But sometimes we don't have these comparables, or we don't want to compare apples to oranges. And then data can help. Then data can tell you, well, a certain company has a certain size of a portfolio, Right. And that size of the portfolio makes up a certain percentage of market share. And where I have the numerator and denominator, I can calculate that share and I can assume that everyone else will ask for royalties. And I have an aggregated royalty fee that then has to be a fair price. Of course, you know, we have here difficulties. Everyone who has been in patent counting will now say, well, not every patent is equal. And that, of course, is a limitation to any patent counting. But it's a first step into the direction of understanding magnitudes. As Nigel said, I think some information, even if not perfect, is better than no information. And we have spent our whole careers on making that information more informative with intelligence. And I think there are different steps here that we can take to get closer to the truth, even though we have to remember it may not be the one truth. So again, we're coming back to the data point of having that transparency, and that should surely, in my mind, lead the discussion or lead the negotiation. But are you saying data is just one element? It is one input. You can imagine that if you are a SEP holder, you have closed uh, 10 other deals with similar companies in the industry. Um, having that as a comparable is a good starting point. But again, especially we're entering now new industries, IoT, there has been Almost no deal done yet in IoT SEP licensing. First deals are made, but you have to start somewhere. And if you don't have anything to compare with, you can work with data. 
And even if you have something to compare with, data can confirm your comparable that you have asked for the right price. Data can also be a reconfirmation of what has already happened. And I think the world is too complex. Not every negotiation is the same. Sometimes SAPs are just one part of a negotiation. Certain supplier relations are also put into the contract. And you come up with a result that may be very different to what you would typically do when you would isolate the negotiation only on SEPs. So I think data is always there to provide more information. But of course, we have to be aware that data can also be misused. My opinion is if everyone would at least use the same data and maybe the same data solution, then we would have equal grounds to start with. And then we can discuss how we refine the data and what assumptions we can make on top of data to have an answer to to the question, how many patents a certain company owns compared to everyone else. And Nigel, I think we come back to a common theme here again, that sometimes patent data on its own is not enough. It's only the start. Of course, I think patent data has to be combined with other data in exactly the way that Tim suggested. But where patent data is required, and in the world of SEPs, it's definitely required, then it better be as close to right and certainly objective. Especially, yes, when you are determining licenses. And just thinking about licensing, I'd like to move on to patent pools. Tim, is that a good step forward for transparency, as we were discussing? That is really something in our industry that has changed over the past years. Patent pools have increasingly got more attention. They increasingly got more creative of how to set rules and how to distribute the royalties within the pool, but also how to attract licensees to join pools and get a pool license. The principle of the pool is easy. Patent owners come together, they draft one contract, and the implementer does not have to go to all these single patent holders, but signs that one contract with the pool. And that is an efficiency that is increasingly important if you think about markets in IoT, where we have a lot of small implementer players and they may get a much easier access to just one pool. But also in our data, it shows that we have more and more patent owners. So even the owner side is getting more defragmented. So that means the more patent owners, the more economic benefits in terms of, we call that transaction cost reduction, because we have one contract and not several contracts. The other side effect the pool typically has is that they publish lists of patents that they have checked as being essential. And that is, of course, great for a database, because now we have sample data that is public, that we can trust the definition of a pool. The patent must be essential. Otherwise, you don't have a legal right to even form a pool, because then it's bundling. And that is a great step into the right direction. I think only this year we had three or four new pool programs formed in IoT, in Wi-Fi 6, in 5G, in all these new technologies. And I think that's a great development. It's good for the market. And it also shows that the market is able to find solutions. You talked about IoT and currently 90% of, of standard essential patents are in cellular. So I'm going to ask you, what does the future hold? What are we going to see in the next 10 years? There has been a lot of focus on SAPs in cellular in particular, because that's the big deals between the smartphone manufacturers, now the automotives, but they also used cellular. We do see a much wider range now for standard setting, and SEPs will play also a role beyond cellular. We see standards popping up also from standards organizations that are in particular industry verticals that have specific applications and specific industry verticals. It's not all the same anymore. And that diversity will increase. 
So I think that is what the future will bring. We will live in a world that is more fully connected. Our homes are connected, machines are connected, vehicles are connected, even medical devices will connect. It's not only the phones that we have these days. And with that increasing connectivity across different industry verticals, we will see also more diversity in standards development. And I predict we will also see more SEPs in other areas that we may have seen not today. So I think that takes us back to transparency being so important for the future if it's going to involve so many more players. I think it should be the way forward. Transparency will always solve friction in the market. It will always solve inefficiencies in the market. There may be levels of transparency that may be too high. You cannot now publish any licensed contract that is a private contract between two parties. I mean, there are limits to transparency that are also important. But I think in general terms, and especially when we talk about patent data, we shouldn't see any limits. I think public patent information is something that only can help negotiation, that can only help to find conclusions in very complex questions. So I think transparency is a big topic that we will see also in the next years. I should say here that obviously what IPlytics are doing and what Cypher is doing and what LexisNexis Intellectual Property Solutions are doing will definitely be able to help those players in the future. Which leads us nicely, Tim, to the Cypher vision. What would be your key takeaway for the listeners? I think we live in a world that has become increasingly complex. And I think complex market structures, complex technologies, and also complex data need data solutions that decrease that complexity. And I think AI is one way and one important input here that makes data more intelligence and help find companies decide and make conclusions. Brilliant. Thank you, Tim. Relative to the 50 million plus patents in the world, standard essential patents make up a small percentage of that population. But because connectivity is, as Tim says, at the heart of the fourth industrial revolution, understanding who owns the SEPs is of critical economic importance. If those who invest billions in developing cellular and other standards are not fairly rewarded, the whole ecosystem breaks down. For well over 20 years, there have been patent wars over who owns what, and how best to divide the royalties between those who have the patents relating to the various cellular and other standards. It's been a roller coaster, and yet the fundamental question of who owns SEPs is still hotly disputed. Despite the differences in IP and competition laws in the US, Europe, and Asia, there is only one building block which is fundamental and on which all decisions are made high quality data. We have Tim and the IPlytics team to thank for their steadfast commitment to improving transparency in the field of SEPs, a mission that is 100% aligned to everything we do at Cypher. Thank you, Tim, for the conversation. Thank you, Nigel, and thank you, Frankie. Thank you for tuning into the Cypher Vision podcast series. Please continue the conversation on social using hashtag CypherVision and share your thoughts about today's episode on promoting SEP transparency.